Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. The good news I have for us is that we do not have to let our past determine our future. But plenty of people do. They let what they were in the past and what they did in the past determine their identity. Maybe they were a social flop many times in high school and they've developed the identity that they are a social nitwit because of that. Or maybe they failed or in some way or another, and maybe several times. And now their identity is, their self-consciousness is, I'm a failure. I'll never really be a success. Or I was rejected by someone I loved. And we've developed the wound that we are unattractive. Rahab is the Bible's proof that our past does not have to become our identity. She was a prostitute. In fact, the Torah, the rabbis, say that Rahab was one of the four most beautiful women in all of history. Men paid her a lot of money to sleep with her. The Bible says she was in great demand. Men wanted to use her for their pleasure. But none wanted to marry her. Notice in the scripture reading this morning, she wants all of her family to come and be saved with her. But does not mention a husband because she has no husband. She is unmarried, even though her bed is in constant use by men. Maybe that's why she became a prostitute. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it's very possible that she once loved a man and she gave herself to him. He used her for his pleasure and then he dumped her. And that was such a wound that has turned her into a bitter revenge. And every man she sleeps with, she eagerly takes his money, but it's also a form of revenge. Or maybe she's a widow, and in the ancient world, widows really had no way of supporting themselves. They were impoverished. And maybe for one reason or another, she really was forced into prostitution. We don't know. I just tell you all of those things to say, be slow to condemn Rahab. You don't know what's behind her behavior. Rahab was not a bad woman. And my evidence for that is she loved her family enough that she wanted to be, for them to be with her when she was saved. She was a lover. She didn't want to be saved alone. She was not bad. She was just a product of her environment in which everyone in Jericho was an idol worshiper of Baal or Ashtardi 
who were the god and goddesses of fertility and sex. It was a very immoral place. It was just as immoral as Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet she's listed in Hebrews 11 in God's Hall of Fame. Right alongside of all the big ones like Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David. And the Bible says later in Joshua 6, she becomes the wife of a godly Israelite and she becomes a godly wife and a godly mother who has a child who becomes the ancestor of the Messiah himself, Jesus. She's in the Hall of Fame. And she even becomes an ancestor of Jesus. If Rahab could speak to you this morning, she would say, don't be a prisoner of your past. It's a lesson, not a life sentence. Don't let your past become your self-image. It's a lesson, not a life sentence. That's Rahab. Our God is almighty, and that means that if you have the God of the Bible in your life, you've got to be an optimist. A Christian who has a pessimistic imagination is an all-confused Christian because God is almighty. No problem is too big for him. There's no sickness that God cannot heal. There's no marriage that God cannot improve and even reconcile. There's no person that God cannot change. Rahab's my proof. Peter's my proof. There's no one here this morning whose future that God cannot change and make better. better. Rahab is my proof. She's immoral, greedy. She's a prostitute who uses men as much as they use her. But she becomes a godly wife and a godly mother and the great-great-grandmother of Jesus. Rahab would say to us, don't settle for what is. Imagine what could be by the power of the almighty God in your life. That's Rahab's message to you this morning. Imagine what could be. Honestly, can you imagine your life being magnitudes better, problems that you have solved that you've never solved? Things about your self-image, maybe your lack of confidence, whatever attitudes you have that are really self-sabotaging. Can you imagine being different? I say that because if you cannot imagine it, it can't happen. The first step in change is imagining it because if you can't imagine it, it's not gonna happen. The first thing to do is stop rehearsing your past. Let God forgive you because no amount of guilt will change your past, will it? So believe God forgives you. No amount of guilt is going to change your past, so be forgiven. One of the most remarkable things I think about Rahab as you study her in the scriptures 
is that every time she is mentioned in the Bible, she is mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. And you see this over and over again in the scriptures. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her family. Rahab the prostitute was not killed because she was welcomed, because she welcomed the spies, Hebrews eleven thirty one. Even Rahab the prostitute is considered righteous for what she did, James chapter 2. Now the question ought to be, why in the world, if Rahab had been forgiven, if Rahab was in the Hall of Fame, why does the Bible keep saying she's the prostitute? Why not drop that? Because it's been forgiven. The reason is, God wants to emphasize how her past did not become her future. He gave her a new future, though she once was a prostitute. And that is the reason why scholars look at chapter 2 and say it's not essential to the book of Joshua, to the story of the conquering of Canaan. You could completely omit the story of Rahab and go from chapter 1 to chapter 3 and not miss a beat. Why is it in there? Because God wants us to know he's the God of mercy and how deep and wide is his mercy. That's why God is merciful to Rahab and he wants that to stick with us. Some of us have had a very hard life, been a lot of tears, and maybe we've done things we're ashamed of. We've done things we know are not right in God's eyes. And when we think of these nights and these days, inside we still grimace just a little bit. As tenderly as I can say this, you got to believe God when he says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Erased, cleansed, there no more. You have a choice either to believe God or not to believe him. Macbeth is one of the great works of literature by Shakespeare. And in it, after Macbeth murders King Duncan... He's tormented by guilt. And his wife just nonchalantly says, oh, just wash the blood off of your hands and forget it. And at that point, Shakespeare gives Macbeth one of the greatest lines in all of literature. He says, there's not enough water in the ocean to wash away this blood. No, my hands will be stained will stain the vast green sea blood red. Macbeth is saying he will feel guilty the rest of his life. There's nothing to erase this blood from his hands. Some of us are Macbeth this morning. We make great speeches about how we don't feel guilty, but down deep we do. 
we remember those memories and we do not jump for joy. We're faking it. Yes, we are. We're faking it. And as long as we're faking it, we're not going to solve it. You have to deal with guilt straight on and admit it. We have two choices. Believe God or don't believe him. Repent and confess and be cleansed or continue to fake it. God's word promises in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there's where a word really matters. The most important word in that verse is the word all. That means there's nothing you still feel guilty about that you've confessed that is not included in the promise to be forgiven. Nothing is omitted from that all. And this verse also means that you only confess once. You don't keep reconfessing something from the past. The devil will come to you, whisper, you haven't confessed enough. You haven't confessed it again. So for 100 Lord's suppers, you've confessed the same sin. I'm saying to you this morning, don't do that. You confess once. If you confess it more than once, you're disobedient to God's word. You're not believing God's word, which says he forgives you if you confess it once. Believe God's word. Stop listening to the devil who wants to continue to torment you with the same sin from years ago that you've confessed. It's your choice. Will you believe God at communion today or not? So what in your past, honest to God, needs to be included in the word all? Honestly, what in your past do you still feel guilty about, though you've never admitted it to anyone? Today, admit it to God at the Lord's table. The spies told her to hang out of her window a scarlet cord, and the color is no coincidence. It recalls the red blood of the lamb that God told his people to spread on the doorposts of their house and that the angel of judgment and death would pass over and spare them. The blood, the red blood of the lamb would save them. And this is called the scarlet thread throughout all of scripture. It goes through all of scripture until it finally culminates in the red blood of Jesus on the cross. It's by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. Rahab just happened to have a crimson cord in her house. And I ask you why in the scripture, Lee, why would she have that? Because she lives in the red light district. She lived high up on the city wall and she often hung that red cord out of her window where everyone entering the gates had to see it to say I'm open for business 
and God transformed that really that cord of immorality that she was using into a cord of salvation for her. Rahab wants to say to you and you and you and me this morning, no matter what cruel things people have said, no matter how someone has rejected you, no matter how you have messed up, you are not a lost cause. You are not unloved. Jesus died on the cross because you were worth it. Did you hear that? You are worth it. The crimson thread is for you because you, no matter what you had done, no matter who you are, you are special to God. That's why he died for you on the cross. What more evidence do you have to have? Really? So why do you keep running yourself down? Imagine a loudspeaker connected to your brain waves. And as you walked around town, what you were thinking would be blasted. Ooh, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? Oh. Negative things about other people, but about you. What you say about yourself when you are special to God and you are worth dying for. You got to stop that. Max Lucado was a missionary in Brazil. He writes in one of his books about Christina. She lived in a small dusty village in the back country, but she longed for the excitement of Rio. And one morning, Maria, her mother, woke up to find Christina's bed empty. Maria knew immediately what her daughter had done. She knew where she had gone. And she knew what she must do to go find her daughter. So she quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all of her money, got a bus off for real. But before she got on the bus, she went into a drugstore and used a lot of her money to take pictures of herself. She drew the curtain in that little booth and put coin after coin in there to get a black and white picture of herself. And with a purse full of these photos of herself, she took that bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew that Christina had no real way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was exceedingly stubborn and she would not come home with her tail between her legs. And when you're that stubborn, you do an unthinkable things. Knowing this, Maria began to search in bars and seedy hotels and nightclubs with a reputation for streetwalkers, women selling their bodies for money. And in each of these places, in these seedy hotels and bars, strip joints, she put a little picture of herself on the bulletin board or on a mirror or someplace that was obvious and wrote a little note on the back of it. She went all over the city doing this until finally 
She was out of pictures and out of money and she had to get back on the bus, crying her eyes out to go back to her dusty village. In a few weeks, Lucado, who was a missionary in Brazil, says that young Christina descended the hotel stairs and when she did, her face was tired, her eyes no longer bounced with joy. Her laughter was gone. Thousand times she had longed for her bed on a pallet instead of sleeping in this hotel with men. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, she noticed a familiar face. And as she walked over closer, it was the face of her mother pinned to a bulletin board. She took that picture and she turned it over and there was writing on the back of it. And it said, no matter what you have done, Christina, no matter what kind of person you have become, it doesn't matter. Come home. And she did. And today at the Lord's Supper, God is saying that to you. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what kind of person you have come. Come home. Will you at the Lord's Supper come home? I don't know how far you've backslidden, how far away from God you really are. But today is your opportunity to confess and to be forgiven and to come home. Will you? Secondly, Rahab would say to us, Past habits and attitudes won't open new doors. Sometimes the mountain in your way is you. You know, we use this term mountain as a metaphor, image of things that are in the way of what we want to happen. And Rahab would say to us this morning, so often we are the mountain because of our self-sabotaging habits and attitudes that we refuse to give up. Can you think of any self-sabotaging attitudes and behavior that people have? Maybe your parents, maybe your spouse. You know self-sabotaging attitudes? Can you think of any? In my research last week, I came across a fantastic definition of faith. It was this, faith is imagination. Problem is, some of us have negative imaginations. Now, how would you know if you have a negative imagination? It's very simple. Fear. Fear is the dead giveaway of a negative imagination. You're imagining horrible things happening, bad things happening. That's a negative imagination, and it's not from God. It's a mountain in the way of so many of us. 
There's so many things you will not experience because of this mountain of fear. I have a close personal friend who will not fly. Imagining crashes. Do you think my friend is ever going to be to Australia? Do you think my friend is ever going to be to Europe? His, really his attitude is, if I can't drive there, I'm not going to go there. It is a mountain in your way. Negative imagination. I don't want to try to take that job. I don't want to open that business. I don't want to give up my job now. I don't want to break this relationship off. If I break this relationship off, I will never get married. Fear. Negative imagination that keeps us stuck in life. Faith is the imagination of what God could do in your life if you stepped out. Faith is imagination about what Almighty God could do in our life and the problems he could solve. We either have a negative imagination full of fear or a positive imagination full of confidence in Almighty God. Which do you have? Which do you want? You can't have both. Which do you want? It's just amazing to me how we can hear sermons like this in Bible studies and stay stuck and settle for so much less than what could be. Faith is courage. We all need more courage. Courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. It's okay to be afraid because that is the opportunity to be brave. If you want something you have never had, you must have the courage to do something you've never done. Sometimes courage is simply trying something new. Sometimes courage is simply doing what you're afraid to do. Sometimes courage is simply saying, my past is not going to be my future. Sometimes courage is saying no to someone who's pressuring you to do what you know is wrong. Sometimes it's breaking off a romance, even though you're afraid you'll never be married. Sometimes it's actually you're in love with this person. You love this person, but love is never a big enough reason to marry. Got to be a lot more there than love. Sometimes courage is seeing warning signs and instead of ignoring them, breaking off the relationship. C.S. Lewis asked a stunning question. He asked, why do you let people who've done so little for you have so much control over you? Why do you let people who've done so little for you have so much control over you? Courage. Courage is a decision. I want to tell you, you don't ease into courage. No, you don't. It's kind of like jumping into a swimming pool and the water is colder than you want it to be. You see people kind of ease into it a little bit at a time down the steps and then you find them turning around and get out. Because if you're easing into that cold water, 
Comes a point you say, I don't want to be cold. And you turn around and you go out, don't you? There's only one way to get in a pool whose water is cold. It's to stand on the edge and take a flying leap and jump in. Because when you take the flying leap, you jump, you're committed. And you're in it. And it's not so bad. And just a couple of nanoseconds, you decide it's not so bad. That's how you have courage. You don't ease into it. You jump into it and commit. I'm going. I'm going to do this. No, I won't. Yes, I will. It's a decision. <clears throat> I love archaeology. Because again and again it proves the Bible is true and does with Rahab too. Remember that Joshua did not attack Jericho with siege engines. He took the people and he marched around that city once a day for seven days. And on the seventh day the walls fell down. God did not want them to attack with siege engines because this is an act of God. God's going to do this and nobody's going to be confused about that. So the walls fall down. Do you know what archaeologists found? I've been to Israel studying archaeology in Jerusalem at Hebrew University. Stunning. The walls fell down forward. If you attack a city with siege engines, they fall inward. These walls fell outward because God did it. Do you know something else that's important that archaeology found? There was one wall that did not fall down. Every other wall fell down. This wall was made of the same material. Nothing unique about it. But it did not fall down. Which wall do you think that was? Come on. It's a north wall where Rahab's house was. Is that incredible? Archaeology proves again and again that God is faithful and you can trust the Bible. He saved her because there was repentance in her heart and she asked to be forgiven. Are you saved? No, really, are you saved? Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven or you just hope you are? Do you think maybe you're good enough because you're better than your brother or sister and so that's going to get you in? Are you sure if you die tonight you're going to heaven? You can be. If you ask Jesus into your life and repent, Remember, the Bible says Satan believes in Jesus. Did you know that? James chapter 2, Satan believes in Satan. If you ask the devil, do you believe Jesus is the son of God who died for your sins upon the cross? The devil said, yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Jesus, the devil would say, yes, I do. Do you believe that he sits on the throne in heaven today? Yes, I do. Do you believe he's coming again at one day? Yes, I do. Do you believe that he forgives sins? Yes, I do. 
You have never met a more orthodox person than the devil. He knows the Bible better than you do. Let us just ask him one more question. Will you kneel before Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be obedient to him? No, I won't. I will never kneel before him as Lord. I will run my own life. He's orthodox, believes all the right things, but he will miss heaven by three feet because when you kneel, you're three feet shorter. I'm asking you, are you kneeling before Jesus? Submitted to his will. It's not enough to be orthodox because Satan is orthodox. But are you submitted to his will? Because faith saves you. Works do not save you. Obedience does not save you. But obedience proves faith. Are you kneeling before him? Jesus cannot save a rebel, but he can save a prostitute who will kneel before him and become obedient. That's what Rahab would say to us this morning. Lord, I pray for us as we come to communion that you, Lord, would help us to come to terms with truth. I pray for people who are faking it, not being guilty, that they admit to you today they need forgiveness. For those of us who believe right things, but we're not kneeling before you help us to do that, Lord. Whatever in our life, we are not kneeling before you help us to do that. Cleanse us, Lord, from all unrighteousness. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of Dr. Mike from Compass Church in Salinas. We hope you're encouraged by his practical Bible-based teaching 